Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to La Liga Lowdown as we recap match day 18. I'm your host Matt Clark and I'm joined by Rory Barlow. How are you this evening Rory? Yeah I'm exhausted after such a thrilling weekend of uh, Spanish football. There was so much tension in all of these games. I think well every game had at least one goal. Most of them had more and the only one that didn't have goals was Cadiz Real Madrid and that was pretty tense in its own way as well Matt. Absolutely. Action-packed, plenty of goals, plenty of incidents, plenty of talking points, and we will dive straight into it. But first, let's just have a recap of the match day and some of the headlines that stand out. Unlike UEFA, we only had one draw this weekend, but here are all of those. <laughs> Friday night, Yago Aspas scored his 100th goal at Balaidos as Celta enjoyed a rare home victory, beating Espanyol 3-1. On Saturday, we had yet another Rio home win, this time against strugglers Alaves. Rio are the best performing home team in all of Europe's top five leagues. Yes, you heard that right. 25 points out of 27. European football is definitely on their Christmas wish list. Villarreal then won a pulsating game at Real Arena against Real Sociedad. Isaac gave the host the lead before Jaro Moreno. Yes, he's back. He equalised. Then a red card for Mikel Oyatabal turned the game in the favour of the other submarine. And they won 3-1 with a further goal and assist from Moreno. Barca then beat Elche, but they had to work really hard for it. At 2-0, they were cruising, but once again they struggled to hold a lead. Elche pegged them back, and it was Nico who came on and gave Barca the 3-2 win in a game where the youngsters shone again. The evening game was a big one, and it's where we're going to start. It was Sevilla who grabbed the late winner to beat Atletico Madrid 2-1 and increase the gap between those two clubs. For the first time under Diego Simeone, Atleti have lost three consecutive La Liga matches. On to Sunday then, and history was made at Nuevo Los Carmenes. Jorge Molina, aged 39 years and 241 days, became the oldest player in La Liga history to score a hat-trick. It helped Granada beat Mallorca 4-1. San Amés was also a goal fest, and probably the game of the weekend. Athletic led early, Juanmi scored again, he equalised, then Fekir put Betis ahead before Iñaki smashed in the equaliser, and it was substitute Oscar de Marcos who scored a dramatic late winner. 3-2 it finished much-needed win for Marcelino's men. Betis have lost all nine visits to the new San Mamés. Curious. Speaking of late winners, Ketafe grabbed one of their own against Osasuna. Dario Poveda with a 93rd-minute goal to lift Getafe out of the bottom three. 
but it's still very tight down there. Finally, as you said, Rory, at the Bernabeu, a rotated Real Madrid were unable to break through the yellow wall of Gadiz. Their lead at the top is now six points, but they have played a game more than Sevilla. So is the title race back on? We will discuss it. And the match they concludes with the Valencian derby on Monday night as Levante still seek that first win of the season at home to their city rivals. Well, what a weekend, Rory. And we're going to begin at the Ramon Sanchez-Pizuan and you spoke to Chris Lale. Viene el córner, viene el Atlético, viene el Sevilla, viene Rakitic arriba, al palo, al larguero, Julio Campos, gol, 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 joined by Chris Lale of the Munchies Men podcast. It's great to have you back on, Chris. How are you getting on? Doing well. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Probably not quite as well as you after we've just witnessed Sevilla see a, a great win at the weekend over Atletico Madrid and Betis also lost to Athletic there. Going back to Sevilla's win though, however, Saturday night, full Ramon sanchez Pizjuan late winner just how good was that it was phenomenal i mean i was we did our our recording of the podcast yesterday and i was just talking to the guys and i haven't been that excited for a game like emotionally and i think it's just because of how bad we've played recently with the copa <laughs> and uh you know crashing out of champions league it just seems like we were really on a down slope and then as soon as that racketage goal went into the back of the net, I jumped up and was screaming. And I haven't done that in a – it's been a <laughs> long time. So uh, it was a phenomenal victory. And, you know, the cherry on on top today with, with Betis losing. So uh, happy about that. All was coming up Sevilla this weekend. But on a more sort of general point of the game, there's obviously a lot of absences for both sides. Rakitic scored that fantastic goal. How did you kind of see this game from a Sevilla perspective? Because from my point of view, there were times where this was a bit of a struggle because there was a lot of imprecision, shall we put it that way. I think going into the match, we didn't know exactly what to expect. I mean, we just came off that really boring and, and excruciating uh, extra time into penalties Copa uh, fiasco, if you will. We didn't know what to expect, I don't think. And and also we were missing Fernando from this match due to yellow card accumulation. So puts even more doubt. Uh, Acuna's out hurt. We just had a lot of injuries and uncertainty. I don't think anybody knew. Atletico as well had some injuries. And, and I think, uh, uh, I don't know, the, the, the match itself played out very physical. There was a lot of fouls, a lot of, you know, questionable refing decisions if you will <laughs> so uh overall the match i don't know i i, I if you asked me before if rakitic would have you know scored a a, a galasso and i wouldn't have said that i wouldn't have, i would have put money on a compo scoring but um 
you know, I don't think we knew what to expect. And, and I was extremely happy with the result and how we played. I mean, I, with the adversity, with the in-game challenges that Lopetegui had to overcome, with Montiel going out, you know, midway in the first half, having to change kind of a formation, moving Kunde out wide, bringing in a Gudeli who hasn't played very much this season, just made tactically some changes for Lopetegui during the match. And I thought he he overcame where Diego didn't, you know, Simeone didn't for this match, which is unusual for us. You know, we're, <laughs> I think normally in these big matches, Lopetegui gets outmanaged by uh, coaches. In this one, I don't think that happened. I think uh, he, he brought his A game and, and the players and the fans. I mean, the that's the first time I think we've had a full, full stadium since we've been back. Maybe the first game after, but it's been a little down with after COVID. So uh, the attendance that is, and I think the fans really pushed that team. And you could see it late in the game where Sevilla kind of took control there in the 85th minute, started getting some chances, and then, bam, the winner with the uh, compost. Um, and it was just phenomenal. We were ecstatic. Certainly, that Campos goal sent the piece Juan into delirium. But setting your sights onto another Madrid side, that win obviously moves Sevilla within five points of Real Madrid before they play this weekend. Um, Sevilla would have the game in hand against Barcelona after that. Can Sevilla challenge for this title? I mean, they came kind of close last year and they were pretty sort of on the brink. I think if they'd beaten Real Madrid in the match they'd had there, maybe they would have had a shot. So is this year the year that where they can sort of take it right to the right to the end of the title race? You know, I th- it's hard to say, right? Like, I think it's for Real to lose, clearly. I mean, with the, the point advantage they already have, they beat us head-to-head, so with with that we're playing well i mean looking at december we had a lot of fixtures that i didn't know i thought this month would would tell us if we were a title contender so far we've said yes to that question um the only loss coming to real madrid you know beating villarreal beating bilbao uh beating atletico madrid i mean that's some huge victories if we can do the same on Tuesday against Barcelona. I think the the answer to that is yes, we're here. Can we take that leap and beat Real Madrid in the next fixture we come up against? But it's, you know, we've got, what, seven guys out now to injury. How do we come back from that? You know, several of those are long-term. We don't get them back till March or April, you know, Coco and, and Suso. So what do we do in January? There's a lot of questions that I don't think we can really solidify an answer. Um, gut? I say yes. I mean, we did it last year. We seem to pull through. We don't play attractive football at all. Uh, our goal chances aren't the best, but we have the best defense in the league. And I think, you know, sometimes they say the, the best defense is the, the best offense. And in Lopetegui's case, that's the truth. He, he waits for that set-piece goal and... Uh, normally it comes so it really depends on if if Real Madrid has that kind of Atletico fall that they did last year you know if you remember they had a huge lead and then they started struggling at the end of the year if Real has that little patch and we are able to capitalize I think it could come down to that last match day you you did mention kind of like unanswered questions there and I as I was 
commenting to you before this have plenty of my own about the Sevilla side. I just don't quite know how good they are. I, the, you mentioned the Andrach match where they went to penalties against the third division sides. They've obviously crashed, as you put it, out of the Champions League in a group that I think most people would have expected them to qualify from. But on the flip side, you do have this league form and they are, as it stands, the best challenger to Real Madrid for this league title. How how good are they in your mind? Because compared to last season, I think just watching them from the eye test, they don't look as good to me. But on the on the other hand, as I say, the results are coming thick and fast and more so than last season. It's a bit of a, you know, it's a mystery. I I don't know what the real Sevilla team is. I, I, I think... Lopotegi has done a lot of man management with the injuries. Um, the the thing that we've we've had and pretty much solidified is that we call it the Holy Trinity: Bono, Kunde, Carlos. They've been there for it all. They're really solid and they play really well in the league. Um, defensively, we're a spectacular team. Uh, I, I think we're really really good in defense. We are missing the attacking piece, and I think a lot of that is down to, you know, Yusuf and Nezri, our top goal scorer last year, 20-something goals scored last year. Uh, he's only played seven matches, seven league matches for this team this year. He's been out through a long-term injury. Once he comes back and gets solidified back into the team, I think we'll start seeing a different Sevilla squad. I think he puts pressure on the uh, the opposition's back line that Mir just hasn't been able to do so far. Um, I don't think you've seen the real Sevilla just because of all the changes that Lopetegui's had to make. Our captain, Navas, is now missing his seventh game. Um, you know, the, the bright spot of the team early on, Lamella went out with an injury, won't be back till April. Suso, who's maybe not a fan favorite, but definitely a favorite among Lopetegui, you know, again, out till April. So I don't know that anybody really knows. I think the Copa matches have been strategically played, if you will. I don't think Lopetegui wanted to go to extra time in those games. I don't think he wanted his players running as much. I don't think he wanted uh, the stars playing a lot. I think a little bit of that is kind of a cloak and dagger kind of situation where he's playing it really close to the vest, and then knowing that his team will find a winner some way, even if it's through penalties. Playing it loose, I'm I, I'm guessing here that's his strategy, but um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's such a mystery. Like, it's, uh, I, I don't know. My thing was, I mentioned it earlier, how do we play in December against all these big teams? Because prior to that, we had played, you know, the, the lower league uh, teams in, in, in La Liga. Here in this match, we or in this month, we've played, you know, the big boys, uh, the Real Sociedad. We got, you know, points there. We got points against Villarreal. We got points against Atletico Madrid and Bilbao. Uh, so if you're getting points from these guys, you have to be a good team, and it's consistently, whether it's on the road or at home. So... Uh, I think we're a good team. I don't think we're a great team yet. And we might be once we get our guys coming back. Very good. That was a, a good effort at a very difficult question there, Chris. <laughs> um, 
I will thank you very much for your time and thanks for coming on. It was great listening to your to your thoughts there. I appreciate you having me back on the on the podcast and love listening to you guys. So uh, hopefully Sevilla answers some questions <laughs> here in the near future for all of us. Excellent. And if not, well, you'll be there to answer them for us, Chris. Thank you very much, Rory and Chris. Make sure to follow him and Monchi's men on Twitter. So, a big win for Sevilla at the top. Um, but they weren't the only side in the top half to enjoy the weekend. Um, Rory, give us your take on, on the action from the, the top half of the table. Yeah, Barcelona obviously got that win against Elche. It was a big win because if they'd lost that or drawn it, it would have been catastrophe, crisis mode, disaster, even with kind of Xavi's entrance. But... I have to say Barcelona were, were very good for me. Um, they had 10 to 15 minutes of total collapse um, and mental breakdown, which is obviously very problematic, but we know that this side has the capacity to do it. I think a lot of people like to criticise Piquet, and yeah, that's fair enough. He does have his faults at this stage in his career, but I think we definitely saw his absence uh, present there because Araujo and Eric Garcia were getting in each other's way. It was, there was a complete lack of leadership in that defence for those kind of 10 to 15 minutes. But apart from that, I thought Barcelona were really, really good. The best performance in quite some time for them. Gavi was obviously exceptional. Nico was really good when he came on. I, th I thought Abde, the way he's coming to the side, I think he's now averaging the most dribbles in the league at the moment per 90 minutes, which is pretty impressive. And Dembélé looked fairly solid. And a debut again for Ferran Jutla, it was... It was all in all a very good evening for Barcelona if you just took out those kind of two goals and that kind of 10-15 minutes of total collapse. Defensively, very poor, but nice to see them actually play like a Barcelona side on the ball. Yeah, we, they, they started very well, didn't they? And as you say, there was that collapse in the second half, but they found a way to, to, to go again and get the winner. You mentioned Ferran there. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about Ferran Torres in the, in the media, <laughs> that possible arrival in January, but... But this time, Barca already have a Ferran of their own. So a quick word on him. Yeah, I think he was brought in more or less as kind of a, an extra squad player or someone to fight for his position in the Barca B side this season from Espanyol, it should be said. And mm. he's been playing out wide a lot for them, or certainly that was kind of the role he was brought in to play. But he was a nine at Espanyol. He came in, obviously, Xavi has given him his shot. He scored against Boca Juniors in midweek um, in the friendly, the... <laughs> much um, fabled friendly in Saudi Arabia. And, I've uh, been proud. Yeah, yeah. Uh, less said about that, the better. But fair play to him. He's coming, he's taken his chance. And I think what all he did was his job. He ran in behind, he played at one-two touch every time and he followed Xavi's instructions. And okay, yeah, he might not be a household name, but a lot of forwards have not done that this season. So yeah, credit to him. Credit to him and uh, a Feliz Chavidad for Barca fans. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, cheap joke. Um, okay then. Real Madrid, though, they were at the top of the table. Um, clear, they have had their COVID issues this week. Luka Modric being the kind of main um, sufferer of that. Of course, also Marco Asensio, Rodrigo, Gareth Bale, among others. They played against Cadiz this, on Sunday night. Um, goalless draw despite 36 shots, 9 on target, nearly 3 XG. 82% possession, 
they just came up against the yellow wall, didn't they? It was an incredible effort from Cadiz. I want to praise them before we get into anything Real Madrid related because that was Cadiz of last season. That was what we saw when Real Madrid played against them last season. And mm. Alvaro Negredo had a really, really big chance and he put it just past the post. If that goes in, then you're looking at more or less a carbon copy of, of that game last season. I think, yeah, Alvaro Serrera couldn't be happier with the commitment of his team. From a Real Madrid perspective, I think they did miss Modric. Their kind of best chances for me or their best openings came from that kind of sliced ball over the top of the defence, which Casemiro was playing, but which Modric is also an expert in. And yeah, Real Madrid, it reminded me an awful lot of the game against Osasuna at the Bernabeu, Mm. where they did pretty much everything they could and just... On that evening, the goal didn't quite go in. And it's a different story if they score after 20 minutes. But they of didn't. Cardiff were able to bank in. And yeah, fair play to Cardiff. Real Madrid, again, it's like that Osasuna game. I don't think they'll be too worried about this result. Although frustrating, nonetheless. Yeah, good point for Cardiff. And uh, not not the panic button for Real Madrid, of course, yet. But uh, as you say, it's the first time they have won since that Osasuna draw. And they have been on a formidable run. In, in the league and of course in Europe so um, they're sit- still sitting pretty at the top of the table next up for them though is Athletic Club away from home and they will be without Casemiro as he picked up another yellow card so he will be suspended for that trip and if Modric is still not available that could be a potentially uh, potential problem for Carlo Ancelotti but speaking of Athletic they had a fantastic win themselves this weekend a pulsating game they had, they'd only scored I think one in six games but they saved their goals for this game didn't they? Yeah, it was incredible. Iñaki Williams inverted the entire narrative about him by scoring after two minutes with what was a very composed striker's finish. And then that second goal, uh, to to quote a Twitter term, woof, that was out of nowhere (laughs) on his wrong foot, just thunders it in. I think uh, on the commentary, at least, they were saying that it hits both the post and the bar on its way in and... Yeah, you have to give them credit, Athletic. They got a little bit lucky with the deflected winner, but that was kind of the confidence. And you saw even when they went kind of to two all after that Inyaki goal, it felt a bit more like Athletic again. They were kind of running onto the defence. Everything was front foot. They were right in Betty's faces. And there was a real sense of confidence about the team again. And if they do have that back, they once again become a formidable opposition. Did feel a little bit for Real Betis. Don't think they did too much wrong in this game. Obviously conceded early. That Inyaki goal was kind of from nowhere. And then a deflected goal as well. So unfortunate for Pellegrini. Don't think he'll lose too much sleep. But again, a kind of frustrating one for them. But massive, massive victory. And massive in terms of confidence for Athletic. Yeah, I think the best way to describe that Inyaki goal is thumping. Yeah. Um, and yeah, a quick word on Betis. I mean, we must be saying Betis have had a fantastic start to the season. Um they end the year in third, which is the first time they've done that since 1964. And uh, they've had a fantastic calendar year in general. Pellegrini's done a fantastic job and they'll be looking looking strong for the new year. So um, good credit to them. The team making up the top four is not Barca. It's not Atleti. It's not Villarreal. It's not Real Sociedad. It is Rayo Vallecano. And their, num- their, their favourite Christmas song this year is undoubtedly All I Want For Christmas Is You, CL. Because they are gunning for the Champions League, Rory. <laughs> I'm back at it with the puns again, Matt. <laughs> um, yeah, fair. 
Iraola, Rayo, at Vallecas. There's not much more to say other than they did it again. They played their own game. They played it on their terms. They were faster. They were quicker. And they were more intelligent than Alaves. And yeah, okay, you can say that Alaves were maybe opened up a little bit quickly. Um, but they're not the first side. Neither will they be the last to have, to have that happen to them at Vallecas. Another word for Oscar Trejo, who is oh. the apple of my eye. He is the best number 10 in Spain. He has the most assists in Spain. And he also played the penultimate pass for their other goal this, this game. And he is just magic. Um, he's such a good footballer. And uh, menos mal that we have a Argentine number 10 to fill in for, for Messi this season. Uh, only sour note for them. Alvaro Garcia did limp off before halftime, mm. which could be problematic. Yeah, he's a big player for them. And I just want to echo what you said about Trejo there. He is an absolute joy. And uh, and yeah, when you think that Papu Gomez over at Sevilla was was perhaps the anointed one to replace Messi in terms of that kind of Argentine number 10 role, it's actually Oscar Trejo that is really stepping up to the plate, isn't he? he yeah, he's been wonderful. I, I, everything that Rayo do that they do well kind of flows through him. And I mean, it's not to say they're one-dimensional or they, they are just a one-man team, but... The way that they play out of defence and the way that they break down teams, it all seems to flow through him. He is Almando, he is the man in charge of that attack and and it's a great attack. So yeah, I I can't recommend enough to people who haven't been watching Rayo and if you haven't been then man, please explain yourself, send a long email because <laughs> I need reasons. But if you haven't been watching Rayo Vallecano, tune in just for Oscar Trejo. Well, very well said Rory and yeah, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> well, that's just about it for part one. Um, there's plenty more still to come. We've got uh, a big away win for Villarreal coming up. We've got some significant results at the bottom of the table. We've got MVP, moments of the weekend, and of course, our own special tribute to Sergio Aguero. That's all coming up after the break. Stay tuned. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping and that extends to their outdoor collection 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to La Liga Lowdown and our recap of match day 18 of La Liga Santander. It was an absolutely thrilling one and we're only halfway through, so there's plenty still on the way. To keep up to date with everything in La Liga, keep it on La Liga Lowdown on Twitter, on our website. We've got plenty of content there coming out every week to uh, keep you going through this festive period. And uh, yeah, we'll be across all the midweek games that are still coming this week as well. So make sure you stay tuned for all of those. But uh, back to this weekend's action and... One of the uh, standout fixtures of the weekend was at Real Arena. Real Sociedad in some poor form in the league. They hadn't scored in four. They hadn't won. They've uh, since since basically being knocked off the top of the table. They they've really struggled to win games, and they came up against a Villarreal side that are on the opposite direction. They've improved. They've qualified for the Champions League knockout stages. They've managed to get a better draw than Man City, and um, they progressed in the cup, scoring 15 goals in two rounds. So that was a, an intriguing game, and to get the lowdown on all of that. Uh, Sam Leverage spoke to our very own Tom Harris. Hello, so I am joined by Tom Harris from the La Liga Lowdown squad. Tom, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you, Sam? I'm good, thank you. What did you make of that then? Uh, you're obviously a Villarreal fan. I mean, was that an enjoyable win, the 3-1 victory over Real Sociedad? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it was quite a surprisingly open game, to be fair. I was expecting quite a cagey encounter. Obviously, La Real off the back of that 4-0 defeat last week. They needed to get back on back on track. And if you look, I mean, they, they'd only conceded uh, three goals all season at the uh, Anoeta. Um, they hadn't, they've not won by more than two goals since the end of last season. So I was expecting quite an, a cagey game, but the first half was really open, end to end, really enjoyable. And if anything, the red card in the second half, I think it spoiled the game a little bit as a spectacle because Ladeal, then they, you know, they sat deeper. They didn't want to attack Villarreal as much. But yeah, really good game. And, you know, at this you know, at this point for Villarreal, obviously they've been struggling to perform. The results are the most important thing. So really, really happy with how it ended up. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, actually, because obviously the first half was kind of very open chances for both teams. The second half, that red card for Ayor Zabal, an awful tackle. I mean, do you think that had a big influence on the result? Yeah, I do. I mean, it obviously gave Villarreal that little boost, obviously having the extra man. And I think they recognise the importance of this game. And, you know, it has happened in the past where Villarreal have had opportunities to go on and win games where they've looked the better team and, you know, circumstances in the game that they've, you know, they've, they've wasted chances. But I think today it was just really, really important that they got the win. And I think you could tell as soon as Oyarzabal went off, I think you could tell that Villarreal sensed, you know, this was a great opportunity, not only to get back on the winning trail, but to get back on the winning trail against a, a team that they're going to be 
competing against for the European spots towards the end of the season. So, yeah, really, really important. And obviously, that's so much easier when you've got Gerard Moreno in the team. I mean, he didn't score. He scored one goal, sorry, between match day one and match day 16. And now he's scored three in his last two games. I mean, how important is he to Villarreal? Yeah, he, he's, he's absolutely everything going forward for Villarreal. He's just incredible player. Obviously, today, Dan Juma wasn't, wasn't in the starting 11. So there was extra kind of pressure on him to perform. Bulaye Diaz looked a bit off the pace and, he, you know, he missed a really big chance in the opening 45 minutes today. So Moreno, he stepped up as he always does. And I mean, both the goals that he scored today were virtually identical from corners, from Parejo, downward headers. And yeah, he, he's just got that aura about him that he's going to be the man to drag Villarreal through thick and thin. And he did that again today. But obviously, you know, it's easy to praise him when he scores the goals. But aside from the goals, his just general link-up play is just, just amazing, just involved in absolutely everything. And he's one of those players, every time he gets a ball, he just seems to do the right thing, which is, um, you know, a real quality for him to have. So, yeah, really, really important. And I don't know where Villarreal will be without him, to be honest. And so, Villarreal, I mean, they have picked up a bit of late. I mean, four wins in a row now. It's the first time they've had such a run this season. And now they're temporarily sitting in the top half while we wait for the, wait for the rest of the weekend action. What are your expectations for the rest of the season? Obviously, the first half of the season has been a bit of a disappointment so far, but do you think this kind of form can be kept up and Villarreal can kind of go back to where they're hoping to be? Yeah, I mean, in the short term, they've got a, a really good chance to keep this kind of four-game, four-winning run going because they've got two home games against Alaves, who are struggling at the moment, Levante, who obviously rock bottom, so they've got a good chance to extend that run to six. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously that win against Atalanta in the Champions League was, you know, a real confidence booster. They were really, really, really good. Today, they played well again and obviously got the results. So I think these, you know, these last couple of games can give them the confidence they need to push on. And yeah, I mean, I think they have to pick it up really because obviously it's been well documented how poor they were the last couple of weeks before this kind of run. So yeah, I'm expecting them to push for, you know, maybe a seventh, sixth kind of place finish. And obviously, they're still in the Champions League. I think they got a favourable draw against Juventus after their first one against City. So, obviously, a good redraw for them. So, yeah, I'll maybe through to the next round of the Champions League and we'll see. And sixth place in the league, and I think most of the RAL fans will be happy. And then let's just touch quickly on Real Sociedad, who are kind of the complete opposite of Villarreal. I mean, they were top of the league and flying, but they're now five games without a win, four defeats in a row in La Liga. What have you kind of made of the way that they've collapsed? Yeah, it's been, it's been really surprising because obviously they've lost their last four in a row. They've, they've only scored one goal in their last five games. Um, and before this run, they'd gone 13 without a defeat. And now they've, you know, four in a row. So it's really quite surprising how drastically they've dropped off. Um, but more um, significantly, I think, if you look at their last 16 games against, you know, the top seven in the league, so your Barcelona's, Atletico Madrid's, Real Madrid's, Sevilla, Betis and Villarreal, They've not won a single one of them. They've gone 16 games without winning against these teams, these teams that they're competing against. So they're consistently losing ground against the teams in and around them, which I think is a more pressing issue for them. Um, but yeah, I do think they'll get back on track. Um, but, you know, it's not been great. Obviously, Isaac is the one kind of shining light for them. He scored an incredible goal today. Oyarzabal is always, obviously, suspended, but he's always in and around the goals. So I think they will bounce back, but it's been a, quite alarming the way they've dropped off the last four games. And then, Tom, I'm going to put you on the spot for the last question. Seven points between Real Sociedad and Villarreal today, but who's going to end up higher in the table at the end of the season? 
I think I'd, you know, despite all I've just said, I think I'd have to go for Real Sociedad, unfortunately, um, because obviously they've had a bit of a miserable run. But if you look at the run they went on before that, they'd be, they're a lot more consistent than Villarreal are. As much as I love Villarreal to rally and, you know, leapfrog the likes of Sociedad and Real Betis, I think Sociedad will, will probably finish ahead of them. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Tom. Now I'm going to pass back over to Matt to, to cover the rest of the weekend's action. Many thanks there to Sam and Tom. Make sure you follow those guys as well for plenty of interesting things they have to say on Twitter. So now let's have a look at the bottom of the table and the way that it lies as we head into Christmas. And of course, for many people, they'll be hoping for some precious points in their stocking from Santa Claus. So Celta had a big win this weekend on Friday night, Granada and Hatafe too. So this is how the points stand. We have Celta and Mallorca level on points on 20. Below them, Granada in 19. Then a bit of a gap of four points. Hitafe, Elche and Alaves all on 15. And it's Alaves who currently occupy 18th spot. Cadiz with their point against Real Madrid are just one point back. They're on 14. And then Levante six points adrift. Bottom of the table still winless. Um, but of course they have a game in hand on Monday night. So, uh, so Rory, um, where do you want to start? Maybe Celta, Friday night? Chronologically speaking and going. Yeah, Celta... Again, it's it's Iago Aspas when he's on song, he, he does make the difference. And I think sometimes it is easy to forget within the sort of drama that is Celta Vigo because they are a bit of a dramatic team. They're pretty up and down and given their kind of playing style, their games can be quite dramatic too. But it's, it's easy to forget that Bryce Mendes, Denis Suarez coming off the bench, Iago Aspas, Santi Mina... They have a really, really good team of technical players and when they are on song, when they're moving and connecting, then they can tear apart a defence and what is normally a solid outfit, and I know, um, as you have, you've mentioned in the past, their es the Espanol's away record isn't quite as good as their home record, but they made that Espanol defence look fairly porous. Yeah, I mean, for me, this is the Celta that I want to see more of. This is what we know they're capable of. I tipped them for a European push this season and, and so far it's been very underwhelming. But this, this performance and result is, is the kind of thing I want to see more of. And, and yeah, you mentioned Espanyol. As for uh, Vicente Moreno, obviously he's been in La Liga for a season and a half now. First we, firstly with Mallorca two seasons ago and now with Espanyol. He's only won one away game. One. That's it. Um, so it's pretty clear where Espanyol's limitations are this season. Um, but of course, a bit like Rayo, they are so strong at home that you don't have any fears for them in terms of relegation at the moment. But yeah, that waveform will be a concern uh, and, it, and it must be a concern for, for Moreno in particular. But um, speaking of Moreno and uh, under pressure, Granada, they had a fantastic win. Um, humiliation in the cup, um, losing to fourth tier uh, Atletico Mancha Real. They'd never lost to a team in the fourth tier, or sorry, they never lost to a team three divisions below them before. Um, so they needed a response at home and they got one, didn't they? Yeah, big response. 4-1 uh, win, as you say. And Granada, I think, are rounding into more or less what people expected them to be this season. A team that maybe 
doesn't quite have it to, to get into the top half, but they are fighting for Robert Moreno and they have enough quality to keep their heads clear of, of the water. And, I mean, I, I don't want to go too much into him because I, I think you will have some kind words for Jorge Molina soon, but I don't think it's a coincidence, put it this way, that Hitafe's attack really suffered in his absence when he went. And it's pretty remarkable that he's come to Granada and fought out some very tough competition up front to, to be in a starting berth. So yeah, credit to, to Granada. I think they're starting to yeah become a bit more solid, a bit more the team that we kind of expected this season. Mallorca, yeah, um, they are immensely frustrating. I've, Kubo and Kanjin Lee are electric when they're on song, but they're so liable to concede at least one, if not two, three, four goals every game that it's just unpredictable as to what way the results are going to go. It's worth saying they had a massive opportunity at 2-1 right at the end. Uh, fair, brilliant play down the left. Brian Olivan crosses the ball. Uh, it, it looks like a tap-in for Fernino, and almost inexplicably, he just kind of can't quite get the required contact. It just kind of sails over the bar. And then the very next attack, Jorge Molina scores the third. And then, of course, right at the end, Puertas rubs salt into the wound to make it four. So... The scoreline does flatter Granada, but as you say, that they were deserved winners, but Mallorca were also close to an equaliser there. Um, so on another day, that goes in, it's 2-2. We're talking about pressure on Moreno again. Um, but yeah, for now, he's, he's, got, uh, he's got the kind of the, t- the magic touch at the moment with the kind of late goals they keep managing to score to, to either get results or win games or pull off, uh, you know, see the results through. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how that develops because I know there's a lot of discontent amongst the fan base. Um, speaking to Heath Chesters quite a bit lately, he's, he's still not convinced. Um, <laughs> I, know, I know Sam Leverage was arguing that perhaps he's, he's earned his shot at some time uh, to change the way that they're playing. Obviously, it's a massive difference, massive uh, change of style without Diego Martinez. Um, and he did so well there, overachieving so much. It's, you know, you're almost on a hiding to nothing uh, replacing him. So we shall see how that develops into the new year. But, um, but yeah, for now, a big win for Granada. Um, another big win came at the Coliseum Alfonso Pérez. This game seemed destined to be goalless. Um, I'm pretty sure that this was probably the game that people would have looked at and said, I might not watch this one. But uh, <laughs> for those that did, they were treated to a last-minute winner. Um, and Kike Sanchez-Flores has made a real impact there. Hitafe are now out of the bottom three, having been in the bottom three all season. They lost their first seven games of the season, remember, and then Michel was sacked after the, after the draw with Real Sociedad. But since then, since Kike has arrived, in the table since that time, they would be sixth in the classification. So you can see the real improvement that he's managed to do. They're a lot more solid defensively as they were under Bordalas. And OK, they're, they're still not phenomenal going forward, um, but they've, they've managed to grind out some results. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of hope for Hitafe that they can now celebrate Christmas outside the bottom three. Definitely, and as much as Hitafe are news here, and I think they've become not quite exactly what Bordalas had, because I don't think they're quite as aggressive in their pressing or their mentality. They're not looking for conflict quite as much as Bordalas's <laughs> team did. But yeah, credit to Kike Sanchez Flores. But for me, the story is more Osasuna, who were living off their away form previously, but now I think I think I saw it was five five points in twenty seven. They've now had in their last nine games. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Matt. But 
Yeah, you're right. And they've only, they haven't they haven't scored in any of the last five away games. Brutal. And as much as I think all of us quite respect Yago Bagasati and what he's done, they are now sinking into another run which dragged them right into the drop zone and meant that they had to sort of yeah, really put their backs up against the wall in the second half of the season last year when when in reality I think we regard them more as kind of a Granada side in the sense that they have the quality to kind of keep their heads above water. And so for Yagoba Arasati, it's a question of learning from last year and not going on a run that will really put them into the relegation battle once again because they have the talent to be above... Well, I mean, they have the talent to be above the Hitafes, if we're being honest. Absolutely. And yeah, they had a fantastic start to the season, it's worth saying that. And they're still 12th with, with 22 points. So hmm. I think they'd have taken that at the start of the season. They're kind Completely, of halfway yeah. to safety. And uh, and yeah, I, I have confidence that Arasate will get it right, um, not least because <laughs> I wrote a piece on our website this week <laughs> about precisely him and his ability and his tactical uh, shifts. So I, I would like to think that he will, I haven't jinxed him um, in that one. So <laughs> yeah, um, hopefully they can pick up in the new year too. But as you say, yeah, massive result for Hitafe. They're out of the bottom three and it's Alaves who dropped back in. As we mentioned, Rayo beat them fairly comfortably, but um, Again, Alaves, it's it's a strange team. You mentioned a few weeks ago that Kayeka doesn't seem to have a lot of luck as a manager. Um, and yeah, it's it's really Hosolu or bust for them. But uh, when they have Hosolu um, scoring, you know, that, that does guarantee you goals and guarantees you results um, over the course of a season. So again, not quite panic stations yet for them, but uh, a concerning run of form, similar to Osasuna, I would say. Okay, then now it's time for MVP. And I must say, I know we say this quite often, but there were genuinely some really, really strong contenders this week. And it, any of six we, we've been discussing off-air could have made it legitimately. Um, so honourable mentions to Yago Aspas and Gavi for their fantastic performances. But we have picked four, and Rory, you're going to kick us off with a certain yellow submarine striker. Yeah, to call my willpower not to include Gavi in this week, but... Gerard Moreno has, has earned his position above him because he is the difference between Villarreal in 10th to 15th place and Villarreal in 5th to 10th place for me. Two goals, two sort of clinical finishes. He did miss one as well. He did have a, have a good opportunity, but his his ability to, to put away those chances is what Villarreal have been missing, essentially. And if you start converting some of those chances, then you will get results. And he came up massive for his side this weekend. And... Gerard Moreno leads the way to to sort of the upward path for Unai Emery. Yeah, you feel that he'll be absolutely massive in the Champions League knockout stages if they've got any chance of progressing further in that. Definitely. It will be Gerard Moreno as, as the key player. Well, speaking of centre-forwards, I have gone for Jorge Molina. We often talk at Christmas about three wise men, but here was Jorge <laughs> Molina, a wise old man who scored three. Um, <laughs> a fantastic performance from him. He's, as you say, as you said earlier, he really is leading this Granada attack. Um, he got the he got the winner against uh, I think it was Hitafe earlier in the season. Um, he got the equaliser against Cadiz on Monday night last week, and and he scored three here um, to to get get over the line in this game. And what can you say about him? He's 39 years old. He's he's broken Joaquin's record to be the oldest La Liga goalscorer, and he's just going from strength to strength. It's his first La Liga hat trick full stop 
and it's his first career hat-trick since 2011 when he was playing in, in Segunda with Betis. So a few weeks ago we had Heath on the pod and he was talking about how well Jorge Molina looks after himself and how he hasn't had any injuries since arriving at Granada and that's testament to him and, and the way that he looks after his body and trains right, you know, eats right, all those kind of things that make top pros top pros. Um, so yeah, Jorge Molina, he is, he is the story for me of, of Sunday. I know we've had a fantastic weekend again. But that, that's, that's historical, isn't it? It's absolutely historical. It, it will take some beating. Um, Joaquin is probably looking uh, not very happy about that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we all love Joaquin anyway. But uh, Jorge Molin deserves this record. And he is absolutely pivotal for Granada, as you say. Um, so we're speaking about important players. And one that we always feel should be more important is Iñaki Williams. And this weekend he showed why he he can deliver. Yes, yes. I mentioned those two goals earlier, but it's hard to sort of understate the importance of that, not only for Athletic, but for Inyaki himself, because really, as much as you can criticise him, you can say that he should maybe be playing out wide, as I would prefer him to do. He is the sort of leading light of this Athletic attack, and so much of that responsibility does fall on his shoulders. And this week... He took it on, he, he carried that load and he drove Athletic to a win. Those, the first goal was absolutely perfect in terms of what you want from a striker. Beating the last man, using his pace and timing his run perfectly, slotting at home. That second goal was out of nowhere. On his left foot, I, I felt a little for Mark Parcher who comes in for a lot of criticism, but I don't think he did much wrong there. He showed him outside, on his left foot, tight angle. You just don't expect him to be able to beat the keeper from there. So yeah, Iñaki Williams' phenomenal performance this weekend and absolutely crucial for Marcelino and Athletic. Absolutely, well said. Um, and the fourth and final pick, to prove we're not all obsessed about forwards and goals, <laughs> we like the art of defending too. And again, worthy shout for uh, a capo from Cadiz. But we've gone with Jules Koundé because Sevilla, uh, we were saying off air again, Rory, this, this was quite a sloppy game and... It was, it was an engaging, absorbing game, but it wasn't necessarily high on quality. But the defending that had to be done, Jules Conde excelled in it once again. Um, Sevilla have quite a few injuries at the back there. Obviously, Jesus Navas has been out for a long time. Uh, Gonzalo Montiel also came off in this game. And Jules Conde had to move across to right back. And of course, he's played there before, and he's played there for France even, at the Euros. But he showed that he can absolutely play that position superbly. And he dealt with Yannick Carrasco very well. I thought he stifled his threat quite a lot which was a kind of a big big reason Atleti looked so stunted in attack. Um, and he also manages to use that energy of his to get forward and support Lucas Acampos on that side. And he was just, you know, surging forward at every opportunity to try and make something happen for Sevilla. And, uh, and yeah, he was just, he was winning, he was winning everything. Um, completed over 90% of his passes, made more passes than anyone in the game. So yeah, for me, Jules Conde was, was the standout in a game which, which the, the result was a standout but perhaps not any of the other individual performances. But um, yeah, for me, Jules Conde deserves his spot. Okay then, so that's MVP wrapped up. Um, you can vote for that on Monday, as always, after you've listened to this pod, listen to our arguments. Of course, you may think someone else should have deserved it. You can tell us that as well. We'll listen, of course. Um, be nice though, of course. <laughs> we, we, we all have opinions and uh, of course, none of us are always right, uh, least of all me. Um, <laughs> but now we're going to have... Uh, a little word on a legend of football, not just Spanish football, but football in general, 
uh, Sergio Kun Aguero this week tearfully announced his retirement from football owing to that cardiac arrhythmia that he suffered against Alaves in October. Um, really hard to watch this uh, this press conference that you know he broke down in tears uh, next to La Porta. Rory, from you from Barcelona perspective, he wasn't there long, but the affection is, is clear. Um, and it's just such a such a shame that he has to retire at still a relatively young age. Yeah, I, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I felt very little connection to Aguero as a kind of a Barcelona player, but more as a sort of general great of world football for the last decade. I think there's an element of, of affection and connection to him because he was and and has been electric in, in football, especially in that sort of opening period at Atletico where he came on and was taking games sort of single-handedly by the scruff of the neck and winning them he, he he's one of the finest players and finest strikers that I've seen and perhaps never for some reason was never elevated into the same realm as others when when maybe he shouldn't have maybe I think that's partly down to his personality or lack of big personality in a sense but yeah quite an introvert yeah he, he is he's not he's not the most expressive in comparison to some of his peers but Aguero yeah one of the best goal scorers that I've seen in my lifetime and responsible for some of the finest moments that I've seen on a football pitch very well said Rory and to get some more reaction on his time in La Liga of course when he was a lot younger we'll now catch up once again with Sam Leverage who who reflects on his time at Atleti and uh, and gives us his thoughts Sergio Aguero is one of those talents that is so underrated by many at Atletico Madrid. When you think of the great Atletico strikers over the last 10, 15 years, I mean, you're thinking of Fernando Torres, Diego Costa, Falcao, David Villa. Um, there's been some great figures that have come through the, the ranks at Atletico Madrid and passed through the club. And often one of those that's forgotten is, is Sergio Aguero. And really, I think now... Now, after he's retired, people are starting to put that more in context and appreciating him as one of the greatest talents that Atletico Madrid have ever had. When he joined in 2006, he was making his move to Europe for the first time and it was a club record fee of €20 million. Euros. The expectations were big. His second ever Atletico goal was actually a handball, which didn't exactly endear himself to, to some of the club's more more pure footballing fans. But after that, I mean, it was success after success. I mean, obviously, the year after he joined, Fernando Torres left in the summer of 2007. And that was a big moment for Aguero. He had to step up. Diego Forlan came in. They formed a great partnership. But even in that first season, I mean, it was just clear that Aguero had an unreal talent and that he was going to be too big for Atletico Madrid one day. He was crucial in the Europa League win, of course, in, in 2010 and... And you can see why. I mean, he was just the man who scored all of the goals for Atletico Madrid. I mean, the partnership that he had with Forlan was was magnificent. I mean, this is the thing, I suppose, when you put it into the context of Atletico's greatest ever forwards, and, and especially over the last 20 years or so, as there have been many individual greats, Torres, Costa, etc., etc. But in Forlan and Aguero, there's a real partnership which made Atletico a really formidable team to go up against. And... It was only really that the rest of the squad wasn't up to it that, that stopped Aguero from achieving what some of those other players have in the same time. So 
it's a shame that he never quite fulfilled his potential. But I mean, you look back at the stats, 101 goals in 231 games. That's pretty impressive stuff. And of course, he won the Europa League. They won the, the UEFA Super Cup after that. And I mean, this was the start. This was what sent him to Manchester City. And, and that move wasn't great. It wasn't handled in the best way by Aguero. I mean, he was very keen to leave. He said that he was going to see out his contract and, and put in a transfer request. And and there's almost an added element of shame because that was in the summer of 2011. And obviously, Diego Simeone came in in December 2011. You just imagine what could have happened had Aguero stayed. But this was a fantastic talent, one of the best that Atletico Madrid have ever had. And now that time has passed, 10 years since that departure, which which left a sour taste in the mouth, I think Atletico fans have grown to appreciate his talent more. And there was one game in particular, which is where I'm going to leave you, Matt, which was the game against Barcelona in 2008, when Aguero was still kind of a little bit unproven, a few doubts around. He was scoring goals, but there were some who were questioning how good he could truly be. And so Barcelona came to the Vicente Calderón and Aguero scored two goals, set up an assist and won a penalty and it was a 4-2 win over Barcelona. And this was the Barcelona with Ronaldinho, with Messi, with Xavi, Iniesta, Puyol. This was a strong Barcelona team. And at the time, Atletico were trying to cement their place as a top four team. So this was a big performance and the one that really kind of presented him on the stage as a big player that was going to have a big career. And looking back now, I think we can say that he did do that. And Atletico fans will only have wished that he could have had more of that career at Atletico Madrid. Wonderful words there from Sam. Thank you very much for that. Um, speaking of those wonderful moments, how about moments of this weekend? Well, well, mine has to be Jorge Molina, and I know I've already said plenty about that already, so I will kind of leave that there. Um, Rory, what was your moment? Yeah, I'm going to go through for the goal that maintains the league title race as kind of open for business because Lucas Acampos, late on, Ramon Sanchez-Pizjuan, I kind of mentioned this in my, in my interview with Chris, but yeah, that's what La Liga is all about for me. It's a tense tie, and I, I had my issues with this game because, as you say, it was a little sloppy, but a tense tie on a Saturday night in the heat of the Sevillano crowd, and Ocampos gets the winner and the stadium erupts. And that, for me, is a La Liga sort of memory or... or yeah, it's, it sums up what I want and what I watch for, essentially, is to see that kind of thing happening. And so another great moment and significant in its importance, too, for the rest of the season. Definitely. And as you say, it brings life to the title race once again. And uh, it was a phenomenal moment in terms of atmosphere and, and just euphoria. So late in the game as well. We've seen so many of them this season. Well, that brings us to the end of the podcast and for the calendar year. So thank you very much for listening throughout the year. Um, we'll, of course, be back in the new year for the next big round of matches that goes across New Year. Paco's still annoyed that Valencia have a New Year's Eve game, but uh, that's for another time. 
Um, there are some midweek games, as I mentioned earlier. There's four midweek matches um, to be played on Tuesday and Wednesday. They are the postponed games from the end of the international breaks, which couldn't be played, etc. So we'll be across those on Twitter. But our next podcast will be in the new year. So I would just like to say thanks to you all for listening. Thank you to Rory and thanks to Sam and Tom and to Chris for their contributions to this pod. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I wish you all a very healthy and happy Christmas. Uh, happy New Year. And we'll, we'll see you again on the other side. And uh, I think it's quite fitting to end this pod with perhaps the most iconic Premier League goal of all time, of course, scored by Sergio Aguero. Thanks for listening. Merry Christmas. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.